This is Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can follow Berkeley Talks wherever you listen to your podcasts. New episodes come out every other Friday. Also, we have another podcast, Berkeley Voices, that shares stories of people at UC Berkeley and the work that they do on and off campus. Well, thank you all for coming, and uh, thank you, Weiwei, for, for coming, and Peter as well. Um, we're here, uh, Weiwei wrote this wonderful book, A Thousand Years of Joys and Sorrows, about his life, and we'll talk about that and many other things. Um, before we do, uh, you know, in 1938, uh, when Pablo Casals went into exile, and we should remember... Weiwei's in exile, too. He went to the fr- French Pyrenees uh, to escape Franco. Uh, is this better? And when Casals arrived there in a little town in the mountains, every morning he got up and he played a movement from Bach's unaccompanied cello suites, and he said that this was a benediction on his house of exile. So since this is the Yom Kippur and it's also the Christian Sabbath. Uh, let's start with a little music ourselves, just to calm our souls. Uh, let's listen to the Benedictus from the Misse Solemnis by Beethoven. Uh, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, blessed are they who come in the name of the Lord. And it's sung by Gundula Janowitz, uh, Fritz Wunderlich, Christa Ludwig, and Walter Berry uh, with Herbert von Karajan conducting. So let's listen, and then we'll start our conversation. Let's begin. Um, In 2011, before Weiwei uh, left China, uh, he was imprisoned. And uh, my wife and I and a photographer friend uh, Clifford Ross had, went over to, to Weiwei's studio in Beijing and just, it was a lovely sunny day and uh, we did a little photographing, or Clifford did, of his studio. So I thought, let's start with that and maybe Weiwei, tell us what we're looking at as we uh, see these pictures and it, they'll be on the monitor there. So you grab your mic and you can maybe walk us through what we're looking at here. If we put the slides up, please. So I should talk, right? That's why you're here, Wei Wei. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was trying to take a nap when there's mu- music there, but I thought it's not proper to take a nap. But uh, okay, that's an image uh, I took. Um, I think 1980. 1981 or 82, when I was in Brooklyn, um, Williamsburg in uh, in Brooklyn. So it was uh, it's a grocery store, and uh, behind me was a piles of the um, paper towels, I, I believe. But uh, yeah, for someone come from uh, China, from a very poor 
communist society to say American have still so much paper, and、uh, just for the waste, I I cannot believe it because I we as a son of a writer, my father never had a a nice piece of white paper to write on. He has to write on some wasted、uh, papers. So for me, that is really American. You know, you can waste、uh, tons of、uh, papers. That's the image. So you were you were here for twelve years, was it? Huh? You were in America for twelve years. Oh、uh, yeah, I, sp- I spent about twelve years in in New York in United States. Actually, one year in California in Berkeley.、Mm-hmm. I was there study my English in Berkeley adult school. That's、uh, I don't I don't know that if that school still existing,、uh, but it's very friendly and、uh, you know they accept、uh, students from everywhere and、uh, the teacher is very nice and teachers. Music such as Old MacDonald have a farm, so, no. <laughs> so we, we had a great, great time there. Yeah. So, so what are we looking at here? What, what, what? Tell us what's going on here with with this slide. I, okay, that's a image I wear a T-shirt which made by、uh, Julian Schnabel, the the artist, when. I was disappeared in 1911, or、uh, 2011. So I think he, as an artist, he made、uh, this response, and he, he printed a lot of T-shirts and gave to people. And、uh, I really appreciate, you know, this kind of support.、Mm-hmm. So I guess that's,、uh, you know,、uh, okay. Then this image, these are two images, right? Why there's a colored? Okay. Okay, the, the the one the black and white image behind is I use a, a hammer, crash a, a imperial a blue and white vases. So it's you know it's a kind of ridiculous act, but I I do that kind of act all the time. And yeah, so you took all those photos. Uh, this guy, you probably don't remember him, Clifford Ross. I don't Ross. know any of them. Yeah, yeah. well, I, you probably don't even remember the day we came over, and he so, just started taking photographs. So, besides the, the, you know, I'm under very strong surveillance of、uh, the, the authority, and occasionally we have visitors. They also take those photos. I never, I never even noticed. <laughs> Well, you all should know that、uh, since Weiwei was under surveillance by cameras outside his compound, tell them about the camera that you sculpted.、Uh, well,、um, in front of my compound,、uh, there's about twenty-five、uh, surveillance cameras. There's, I ask them, why you have to have so many? You only need like a. One for each door, but they told me they have so many different uh, uh, hierarchies. You know, some controlled by local police, some controlled by <laughs> state police, and maybe and you know, it's all people are sharing this、uh, banquet of、uh, to look at somebody else's life. So I'm wondering how to help them. You know, so I. 
I realize they don't have cameras uh, in my bedroom or in my office. So I put cameras uh, right in front of my, uh, above my bed and also uh, uh, above my working table and I start a 24 hours live stream and uh, attract uh, millions of people watch it globally. <laughs> then it only lasts three days. The security people called me and said, wait, wait, you have to shut it off. I said, is that what you want? You know, there's uh, some corners you, you cannot even see it. <laughs> but they cannot bear this, uh, this notion you are reveal everything to them rather than they pick on you, which is completely a different kind of level of philosophy. And uh, they just said, you have to shut it off. I said, okay, you know, yeah. Okay, so this is uh, Justin Moore of your studio. Uh, you obviously love cats. We have a lot of cats and dogs because at that time, uh, I think after the first pandemic, 2003, there's a SARS. And at that time, people start to blame all those uh, disease come from animals, so you can see people driving on the highway through their pets out of their car windows. It's unthinkable. So, and also we, 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 we know people are collecting those pets to Guangzhou for some kind of special uh, delicacy, you know, dishes. They're going to use it. So we, we size the whole car of the cats uh, there's about over 400 of them. So, because there's no policy to protect the animals, so I ended up I have to collect 40 of them to, to just to feed them. So suddenly I have 40 more cats in my home. Uh, they're all nice. They all, uh, yeah, they all have their characters. They're, I would say they're a little bit better than human beings. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, you know. Okay. Yeah, that's also an Im- image of my studio. You, you see this, just uh, nothing there. It's just uh, my studio is only studio, only studio or art studio, if you see. Then and then now, you don't see my artworks. Is uh, yeah. Sometimes you see cats and dogs and some plants uh, because I'm very shy with my work. You know, I I never think I'm a good artist. I just you know I don't want to look at my work once finished. I rather I just uh, in the box or going to some uh, museum shows. But I, I would not ruin my home with my works. You know. So. I don't know what is this. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's your. It must be your library. In your. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's uh, that's a book. So you can see all the books are not uh, vertical, but uh, uh, like uh, horizontally piled up, and that means I never read them. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, are they still there? Is your studio uh, still, still there? Still exactly like this. Never changed. Yeah. Uh, since I moved in, everything put there, never, never, nobody moved it. But is it there now? Because cats also don't read, so. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, that's my studio. You see the wall, wall is empty. I love the sunshine coming come in from this window. After I built this house, I become very well known in Chinese architecture world. You know, people think I'm a, a person can be a spokesperson for new lifestyle, new aesthetics. So that got me involved in design the national stadium with uh, Herzog de Meron and in Switzerland. Yeah, that, that got gradually got me into trouble. But I don't even know uh, at this moment. I really just trying to solve problems in relating to architecture. But uh, of course, do architecture is a very political act in China. You, you, you start to know so many layers you would never even think about, you know, the government, uh, the regulation, and all those policies. Yeah, that's the beginning of the trouble. Oh, you take a photo of my bedroom. <laughs> okay. That's a cat on there. You know, that's the only thing interesting is we, you can see cats dominates everywhere. So, yeah. I don't know what is that. Oh, oh it's a it's a marble apple, I think. Yeah, is is, is that your sculpture? I think uh, it no, is. No, my my craftsmen they always try to impress me. They always want to be artistic. Yeah. So they, they gave me those objects. So they think I should develop my art in that way. <laughs> and, uh, well, then we'll, we'll click it off. It, uh, those are just really casual photos. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's, but it's very real. It's, uh, it's porcelain made of... Uh, or it's uh, crabs made of porcelain. So... Mm-hmm. That's... Uh, well-known photo about, I think it's White House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's White House. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's 1995. I, I had a chance to visit uh, Washington, D.C. You know, I hate to take a, uh, how, how do you call it, take a photo in front of this monument. My, my photo is almost always like that. So, after years, I have many, many photos with my left finger, and it become artwork later. You know, <laughs> it's so easy. So you don't have to go to school to learn those skills. <laughs> uh, true. I mean, school teacher will never teach you those things. So <laughs> they do this, uh, those uh, practice, but they don't teach you. You know. So yeah, this is a, a table come from a. a I. I I cut a Ming Dynasty style table and uh, I banded it and I banded it again. So one leg is missing. So it will be a three, three leg table and two leg. Yeah, it's just on the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the corner is very, it's always empty. You know, it's always problematic space. So I think this table gives that corner some kind of strange, uh, strange attention. That's uh, sunflower seeds. Huh? I did uh, those. Uh, 
those are big boxes, actually. The actual one is very small. It's about one and a half or less than two centimeters long. Uh, I did uh, over 100 million of them with uh, a local craftsmen, you know, mostly women's. 2,000, oh, 1,600 of the women's worked for two years. So it's, this image doesn't really show. They ended up in the Tate, didn't they, museum? Yeah, yeah and in other places. In Tate uh, exhibition, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, that we've seen that one. Let's see here. More sunflower seeds. Let's click along here. More studio. Um, are you a Buddhist? My studio is, if you're walking, it's almost like someone just moved out or before someone moves in. You know, it's, it's completely lost. You know, it's, uh, what's going on here? So, yeah, those are some uh, antiquity. I collect a lot of uh, antiquities. Yeah, that's a, uh, well, <laughs> it's all ridiculous. <laughs> <clears throat> so that gives a little sense uh, of, of Weiwei's life uh, lost. Uh, so Peter, what great questions do you, or on your mind, oppose to Weiwei? I mean, you both have been in art and politics for so long. Sorry, man. I like my leg to be like this. <laughs> no, wait, wait. For, for me, one of the most moving things about your art is that it, in this long process, you found a way to move past art as an object and art as an aesthetic activity primarily, but instead really to solve actual problems in a real way because the world we're living in, the old solutions are not working and the solutions have to be creative, they have to be new at the same time, they have to come from some deep past and you're holding all those things together but some of your most amazing art projects are really gathering people to solve real problems and creating a new motivation, a new possibility, a new reason to gather, a new way to gather that's suddenly enjoyable with open possibilities and not already predetermined. Would you just talk about some of the ways you moved into these situations and made an artwork and a process that crystallize a moment in time, but also maybe a set of possibilities next. I mean, here in San Francisco, your installation in Alcatraz was one of the most overwhelming experiences. And the people visiting were liberated from being consumers and invited to be something else citizens and beings of the world and to be in connection with the next step of their life and other people's lives. Well, it's a, a 
as artists, and normally people call me as artist or activist, and uh, I I often being forced into one condition. It's not that I intentionally to be, you know, trying to create something or to to crystallize something, but rather I've been putting uh, uh, extreme uh, conditions. And uh, but I have to focus in dealing with those situation, and normally I don't I don't accept the easy answer. So I think I have to find a, a language to illustrate my expression. And uh, yeah, it come out, come out uh, certain. Ideas or materials. Normally, we can call it art, or you know, I don't. I don't think my art really looks like art, but still, you know, it's hard to categorize it. You know, it's it's not scientist uh, uh, scientific uh, conclusion, but so easier to call something useless as art. And uh, yes,、yeah, so、that's what I do. And.、Uh, I'm I'm a bit shamed about it because everything in 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 real life it, it has a purpose. I have a、uh, have a clear problems and solutions. But art is not really about it. It's rather、uh, create problems after problems. So、uh, yeah, that's what I do. And. This idea of of first of all, one of the most powerful things is the artist is not present, and yet the artist is very present. The combination of your absence and your presence, and the degree to which, right now, with prisoners of conscience all over the world, in all kinds of contexts. This idea of people who have been silenced, but in fact, that silencing becomes very powerful and creates enormous amount of attention and presence. And you work with that really, really skillfully in each of your situations. And most artists don't think of that because a lot of the art world is about the personality of this or that artist. And you took everything past that place. Would you maybe talk a little bit about how you arrived at that? I mean, of course, as you said, life imposed certain limitations when you were arrested and so on. But the way that became powerful all over the world. My, my case is、uh, very much like. Uh, uh, I don't know. I can learn a lessons from my past, because it's not、uh, almost like、uh, you cannot repeat it. It's just given conditions, and I react to it, and、uh, and by mistaking people also misunderstood it. So I become what happens today. So I am.、Uh, It doesn't have to be this way, you know. I, I can be someone just 
hanging around and uh, sit on a bench, uh, enjoy sunshine. You know, like in California, many, many people you see on the street corner or, or on, in the park. I, I see myself more belong to those people. And uh, so it's, uh, it's full of a surprise, you know. I, that's why I'm not very comfortable. But still, uh, still I'm, I'm still alive and I'm still being put in very strange circumstances and also I have to deal with it, so. Wait, wait, let me ask you, I mean, obviously your life was a very difficult one. For those of you who haven't read this really wonderful, wonderful book, um, he spent first basically 20 years of your life in a prison camp with his father, who was the 20th century's most renowned, well-known poet. And I'm wondering, what did, what, how did that impact who you are as a person, your art, and how you are in the world now. What, what was the effect of those t- first two decades? Well, uh, my father studied in Paris. You know, I always have to mention that because uh, that's where I come from. And uh, he, in the 20s, right after he came back from uh, Paris, he was sentenced for six years for some kind of crime called a subversion of state power, similar as today. But that was nationalist, nationalist party. John Kaishek's party. So later he joined the revolution and they established this new government. Then immediately Chairman Mao realized really threatens his power as those intellectuals. And he didn't he actually have conversations with Mao where he said that, that art was not something that could be controlled or should be controlled by the state, and Mao was displeased with his expression. It's the same argument we repeat, repeat every year, in, even till today. You know, my father believes. Put this a little closer. I oh, know if people uh, can hear. My father believes the integrity of a writer, and it's not just to say something nice about society, but rather uh, criticizing. You know, that's the most important uh, character of um, uh, so-called intellectual. That means you you have ability to criticize, and you know. The condition, of course, communists cannot accept any kind, of, not even criticizing, even just attitude of that cannot be accepted. So he was uh, crushed under this so-called anti-rightist movement, which uh, which uh, punished over half a million of uh, intellectuals. There's no, no such a big number of intellectuals at that time. So include uh, school teachers or university students, whoever, uh, raised some questions about authority. So he was uh, one of the biggest writers, they call him, being sent to very remote uh, 
area northeast and then later northwest, which is the place Xinjiang. We 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 often heard about now. They have this kind of re-education camps for Uyghurs. So long before re-education camp uh, for for Uyghurs, we are we are the first generation being re-educated. So that's the year I was born, 1957. So immediately, when I become a a As a boy, I, I start to realize my father is the enemy of the state. Of course, I would never understand how can a writer become an enemy of a state. The state is so big and powerful, and also they call him enemy of the people, enemy of the party. So he's very strange. They have to categorize state, people, and the party different. So he's like three enemies, but basically. Nobody know what kind of crime he have done, but he's really heavily punished. So now, if I think back, I I'm not a dissident、uh, when I growing up, but I was forced to become a dissident when I was born, because we are we are we are someone almost like disease the society cannot accept. Every or A movement or language are being watched, examined, or even reported. So it can bring tremendous uh, uh, pressure to 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 the family, and it's a very surreal condition. You know, you don't you don't see it in reality, but、uh, funny enough, you still see it in today's、uh, political practice in China. Now people still、uh, trying to find spies. You know, they they still trying to encourage people reporting on other people,、uh, which、uh, it's it's really a social disease and a social political disease. You know, you know I wonder.、Um, I mean, as a young child, every child wants to. Respect and be accepted by and love their parents, and yet if your parents are considered enemies of the state, it creates an incredible conflict. Because, and I wonder, how did you experience that? Did you ever wish your father was different? And how how did you deal with this thing of having your father being an enemy? Well, it forced me to take sides because.、Uh, Teacher or students look at you very strange way to say、uh, you're either on the side of the people or the or you're on the side of your father. But still, make me feel my father is so powerful by doing nothing, but the whole society is against him. So maybe that gave me some understanding of the intellectual power. And、uh, yeah, but nothing you can do. You just—it's、uh, like、uh, stand in the middle of a rain. You get wet. You know, everybody get wet. So, Peter, you know, I—you're I, very interested in Buddhism, and I'm kind of curious whether this guy's a Buddhist. 
but maybe you should <laughs> ask that question or, or I mean, you know, wh where is religion in all of this? Well, I mean, you're just getting to really deep questions of how to live with almost nothing growing up for those years with very little food, very little human contact in a certain way, and absolutely nothing to buy or sell or anything like that. So you're, you're having to find some strength inside yourself. Your father is representing a certain kind of strength, going through humiliation after humiliation and not speaking about it. That's a very rare childhood. Well, I, one, I, you know, I know very little about Buddhism, but uh, I think one of the Buddhist's uh, highest uh, uh, spiritual condition is uh, losing this kind of, we call it Wu, means uh, the self not existed. Is that a right interpretation? I don't know. It, it's just uh, trying to uh, overcome the, this kind of selfness, but I don't know it's the right interpretation. But uh, but actually, when we grew up, we the whole society of a communist control really achieved this war condition because we never see I want to do something. You know that I doesn't exist. We only see we, although we we see the collectively people. So, so nobody has birthdays, you know, my father, mother, and us. I never really remember, my, they never remember my birthday. That's why I created my own birthday. And uh, now ended up, I have three birthdays. <laughs> so on Twitter, each year, people greeting me for happy birthday, but uh, many people... New Twitter uh, commerce, you will see, well, it just had birthday three months ago. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to explain this, you know. So we really get into this uh, self not existent stage, which I think is the highest stage of uh, Buddhism, but achieved by state, you know, it's not by us. <laughs> Did you, as a child, ever? Think about making art or make make a gesture as an artist. I I really not. Uh, I never been encouraged to make art because see how damaged art has been uh, down to all the artists and the intellectuals to China. You know, to my family. So my father never encouraged me to say do, doing art. He only asked me to help him to burn all his art books or poetry uh, collections. So I helped him put all those uh, books in fire. And, uh, you know, art is being considered as evil in that society. So the best wishes for parents like my father, a, a top intellectual would say, you should be an honest worker. That means you have to get your hands dirty and uh, to be really tired working the, not in the factory because under my, fa my family situation we are not, not trusted so we cannot touch machine 
the machines kind of holding in China at that time. So we only can work in the farming area because you cannot do damage to earth. You know, actually you can really do damage to earth today. But at that time, you know, to, to work in the farm, that's the only possibility. So when I growing up, I never really think I can become an artist. That's, that's very strange. And uh, actually, I still today, I still not formally believe I'm an artist, you know. I, uh, yeah, I, I do something similar of art, but... And did you, were you reading your father's poems as you were growing up? Did you read your father's poems uh, as you were growing up? Did you put them in your own memory? Uh, no, his poems are being destroyed only till very late, um, uh, when I'm 20 years old, when Nixon visited China, then his situation became a loser. They said, uh, you know, uh, you can go back to the capital to, to try to cure. He has an eye problem, so, so he can get some kind of medicine treatment. So there's reader sent back his poetry, collect poetry book. Said I have been hiding this book uh, under the rice pole. You know, the, the, the pole, they, they put the rice in there, they hide the book under there so nobody can see it. So they sent back those books that I realized he writes so much. You know, uh, you know he's a great poet, so. As I remember, Weiwei, that as China began to open up under Deng Xiaoping and Westerners began to come in, they were asking, where is Aiqing, your father? And then the party thought, well, we, we better produce Aiqing because he was a well-known figure. And then they gave you a nice house in Beijing. But to, to, to tell, tell how that happened. I, I, oh, the story I heard is, you know, in China, nothing's clear. You can never really uh, uh, find a solid facts. Doesn't matter how high your level is, even even Deng Xiaoping, nobody is clear what really he he has been doing. And uh, you know, he writes many many self-criticizing papers to the party for him to regain the power. You know, a long, long letters, but nobody know what he's writing, what he did writing, and uh, so so same as my father. Even he passed away while writing my book. I asked my mom. I said, "You are so respected today, and can you ask the party to release his, uh, you know, how do you call this kind of dongan? That means his personal." Dossier. Huh? His dossier, his political dossier. That yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's dead, and uh, he's very respected. Can you release that so I can get some historical facts to see how he confessed? Because every mo- political movement, he has to write uh, a confessed uh, paper. You know, this is a requirement. Otherwise, you you know, it's very very uh, difficult situation. But they told my mom, they said, you will never have a chance to see those materials. And so in China, basically, nobody have a chance to see any of these kind of materials. That's why it made China very poetic. You know, the people are, you know, 
you know, from history, people write poetry about the moon, and uh, till U.S. landed in the moon, then destroyed all those poetries. You know, we realize the moon just uh, nothing, just you know. But uh, before all our literatures are related to the moon, you know, the beautiful moon there. So, yeah. So in China, it's hard to get any facts, and uh, so. What is what's the question? <laughs> well, I, I I wonder how how does one survive twenty uh, years in the most formative period? How does that affect you today? And what you do in your art and why you do it? Why do art? No. How did the early years of your life, when you were living with your father in these very difficult circumstances and and basically in prison camps? How do you think it affects you today, and what you do as a human being and as an artist? Well, it's almost like a police uh, uh, interrogations. You know, I, I can't. Something I can't really answer. It's uh, <laughs> it happens that way. It's it's beyond my control. And uh, you know, I'm uh, victimized by something I don't even know. Yeah. Well, that's a showstopper. A <laughs> uh, Peter. <laughs> well, we were in a place where, when we walk down the street here, as you said, there are lots of people living on the sidewalk. There are lots of people who don't have something to eat. There are lots of people who have nowhere to live and have. Been no contact with their families, and and here in San Francisco, here in the Bay Area, it's normal. You just keep walking. One of the most powerful things you did was not keep walking with the question of refugees and people trapped in these nightmare immigration prisons and holding cells and detention centers. People urgently leaving. Everything that they value to come to a place that they don't understand, but knowing that they have no future where they grew up, and here they are in an unbelievably vulnerable situation. At the same time, these are people clearly of courage and determination, and they've arrived to have their lives completely shut down. And you didn't just keep walking. You made years of your life a huge project of saying what's going on here. I'm sorry. This is only conversation. No waters uh, on the table, <laughs> and uh, it's rare. You know, normally I know California may lack in the water. We, we, we but, will、uh, see if we can summon some waters. But、uh, anyhow. Uh, since I grew up in the quite difficult situation, it's almost not uh, uh, speakable. What is difficult situation? It's because the difficult situation is something you cannot really speak about. So when I realize those、uh, a lot of unfortunate human beings,、uh, when I see, thank you.
when I see uh, so many people have to leave their, their home to come to Europe or United States and uh, so I, I feel it's not enough just, just to watch on television or listen to the news. I have to go to uh, the real location how they landed in Europe, which is uh, Lesbos. Uh, over half a million people uh, landed in a little Greek island because it's very close to Turkey. So when I see how those people climb up, you know, those women or children, uh, the fortunate ones can still uh, approach the beach and uh, and uh, you can recognize they are not, they don't belong to Europe. They are really dressed differently, they speak different language, they have a very different behavior, uh, behaving when they come out to the land, they, they really still worship their, their God and they still, you know, very different, the, the behaving. Then make me feel this, the crisis are much bigger than normally we call the refugee crisis, but I think that is human crisis. And uh, I, so, so I decided to go across the, to the other side, to Turkey, to, to other locations which have historic uh, or, or, or current refugee conditions. I want to, uh, you know, I, I organize the team uh, to start to make a film. So we went to, you know, Pakistan or uh, Iraq or, you know, Lebanon, Jordan, and uh, Jerusalem, Mexico, uh, many, many locations where, you know, have a lot of refugees. We visit about 40 largest refugee camps. I interviewed over hundreds of refugees personally, myself, just to to repeatedly listen to their story. Basically, it's just one story. They have to leave their home, their beloved home. Uh, they could be rich or poor, but they have to leave because they want their children in a more safe ground or they want their parents uh, can can have a better life. So those are very basic humans' uh, emotions, and uh, they are very brave. They take a chance, and uh, many of them are drowned in the ocean, but still people flooding uh, into Europe. But on this side in Europe, they're being refused. They're being uh, really smeared and they use all kind of um, wrong descriptions. And they're trying to come out policy to push them away. And uh, so that is basically an act for help me to understand the global politics, human rights record. You know, to understand uh, those are not so easy because I was uh, focusing in China. That after three years of making three films about refugees, then give me more a better uh, or profound understanding about who who are they and why they become refugees and why the West have responsibility to to help or to accept them. 
but still uh, now refugee situation changed a lot. Even in Europe, uh, between the Russian and the Ukraine wars, you, you have refugees produced right in Europe. You know, the Ukrainian refugees, uh, still hundreds of thousands of them uh, have to leave their home. And the refugee number already uh, over 100 million, doubled the size when I started to pay attention. So I'm sure the refugee uh, number was still growing up because the environmental problem, you know, the weather problem or famine or so many wars are still going on. And the more uh, these kind of conflicts can happen. So the, the conclusion is how, how can we deal with the situation? And I think the only way is to stop produce those uh, disasters. Those all disasters are made by human and by government. And, uh, you know, that has to be stopped. Otherwise, uh, uh, it's not going to be a bright future. We all know we are at the age of the World War III. You know, people think that's not realistic. It's very realistic. And, uh, and uh, the nuclear bombs is not just going to be dropped in Hiroshima again. You know, it's going to be dropped in many nations and, uh, and there will be much more casualties or maybe it will be the, the end of the humanity. So same people are not really act on stop the war and stop uh, and destroy all those nuclear bombs. Why? I don't know why people, what's, what's wrong with uh, people? You know, if you talk about very democracy or freedom, a society, why in the very essential issues we cannot be united? We cannot say just stop and destroy all those nuclear weapons. You know, it was good for all the children or people, doesn't matter you're men or women or in between, it's good for you. So we all have to do is just solve the current problems and before it becomes something not controllable. You, you, you mentioned that you're, you are concerned about uh, a broader war. I mean, do you fear that it's possible the United States and China could end up at war? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think the United States and China would have wars. So, uh, honestly, I think... Uh, uh, but uh, the war is never uh, predictable. It happens, uh, it can be triggered by some other reasons, you know, uh, some other excuse. But uh, of course, uh, it seems there's no, no benefit just to have a war between these very two big, you know, mega nations. And, uh, but uh, some uh, smaller conflicts can trigger a big war. So. so are you optimistic or pessimistic? I have no feeling. <laughs> uh, 
You know, for me, one of the most important things I think in human life is frequently that one discovers oneself far from where one grew up, and you meet many parts of yourself in a foreign country, in a when you're traveling, when you're exposed to other worlds, and as you know, most people on Earth are not allowed to travel anymore. They can't get a visa. There, certain people are allowed to travel from certain countries, and most of the rest of the world is not allowed to travel. And this idea of finding some part of who you are in a foreign place—would you just talk about what it was like to come from this super intense moment in China to the '80s in New York City, and? Meeting the artist of yourself in New York. I don't know if that is a question.、Uh, just to say, the '80s was an incredible experience in、oh, your life.、Okay. Coming after,、uh, well,、uh, the '80s. I I was a student. I speak no English. I I try to survive in New York. I believe I can become. A, Uh, Picasso. I told my mom when I left China. I said, "Don't worry, I will become a, a Picasso." <laughs> and now, I, very soon, I realized I don't want to become a Picasso. So I changed my mind, but I never told my parents, and they they don't trust me anyway. And、uh, then I I don't know what to do in 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 United States because I don't have this American dream. I'm 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 very.、Uh, I, I normally don't have a dream, so of course when they talk about the American dream, I never really know what is American dream. You know, for me, someone growing up in the communist society, those dreams seems a little bit naive. So I I I think、uh, I never never really believe this. You know, so. But I still I I love to have the so-called individualism or to have a liberty or. But I realize the liberty is if you die in your apartment, nobody care. You know, only the landlords they come to collect your rents. They find out oh, smelly so bad. Then they op- they open the door or、oh, someone dead. So. So seems quite a society.、Uh, Not very human, I would say. Of course, if if this capitalism is not supposed to be very human, you know, you know, it's, it's just、uh, a struggle and a competition. And、uh, so, I hanging around. I found no purpose of my life. That's best time, because I found no purpose of my life. That's what, that my big finding is: my life has no purpose, and、uh, that helped me a lot. And、uh, maybe that helped me to become someone today. One of my favorite projects that I've ever, ever, ever heard of in my life is the project you made in Germany、uh, for that was getting visas for a lot of people from China to come visit Germany. Remind me the name of the project. It was for Castle, I think. 
was it for Documenta? The, you made, oh, yes. you uh, made this project which fair, got all of these people visas. Fairy, fairy tale. F- fairy tale. And all these people, Chinese people came to Germany <laughs> and everybody said, wait a minute, what's the point of this? For me, it's the most inspiring project I've ever heard of. I am so moved by this project. It's so beautiful, Wei Wei. Thank you, you're the only one probably still remember it. <laughs> I really appreciate it because for me, that's also a, a project need to be, it's a fairy tale, it's called a fairy tale and that's mean, supposed to, to leave any normal, you know, uh, canvas or sculpture, but rather should, uh, like a seeds planted in those uh, 1,001 Chinese, uh, their emotions and heart, to move them to go to German documenta on, 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 on castle. Documenta is kind of high-end uh, elite type of uh, Western culture practice. I would say that way. Uh, I, if I go through documenta, I'm very well trained in art uh, theory or art as a, or practice. I would not even understand what they're doing there. You know, it's completely foreign and against uh, the, the human perceptions. So I said, you know, I'm not going to be join documenta to do the same thing, so I would invite 1,000 Chinese to take opportunity to, to make the two cultures to meet. So I select those uh, people from the internet. That time I already know how to use internet. And uh, there could be farmers, could be women, minority women from some mountain, remote area. The women never have a passport. And if they apply a passport, they have to make up their name because they are never had a name. They would only been called somebody's wife or someone's mom. So they made a passport. They take all the procedures, take port, you know, photos, then get the passport, and uh, successfully manage them to get a visa. And basically, in today's language, it can be like a, I, I performed more more or less like a travel agent. <laughs> For this 1,000 Chinese, I have to buy insurance and tickets and uh, shape them to Germany, castle. And that city, they may never even see a Chinese. So everybody look at those, oh, those are Chinese. You know, look at those, you know, the Iowa is Chinese. So I become very well known. Uh, so newspapers start only talk about me because uh, I made all that 150 artists are very jealous and they all hate me. <laughs> That's why I can never really be recognized by art world because I did something which is is not uh, normal. So you know it's not in, under their art history teachers uh, practice. But uh, I had a good time, you know. And 1,000 people had an amazing time. And 1,000 hearts and 1,000 pairs of eyes. Yeah, that's the only time in history 1,000 Chinese people, like farmers, uh, come to see an art show. It never happened before, never happened later. You know, now all those people, their children study um, like uh, museum management or (laughs) uh, something like that. You know, strange, strange enough. uh, 
But it just, it's an art project that makes suddenly a bunch of things that were totally impossible, not only possible, but happen. And for me, that's one of the most beautiful things in your work, is not only something become possible, but you actually do it. Yeah, my life told me impossible things can happen. And, uh, and it happens all the time, so... Thank you. Thank you so much. Wait, wait, do you uh, do you miss China? Uh, that's like a question. Do I miss myself? Uh, I don't miss myself. So. <laughs> so, so you feel you, you feel content and 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 happy and productive in in exile. It's not a source of of, of, of uh, you know. You don't feel deprived in some way. Well, it's, you know, uh, of course we all have a sentiment or, or memories, you know, some kind of nostalgia feelings. But still think about uh, the, you know, the, the planet is such a small dust in the universe. And uh, it it comes as being miracle, and uh, it will go. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to be always like this. So then, our personal sentiment, it works. But also, we have to have a perspectives. I spent already forty-two years in China, and uh, ended up like I'm a most uh, unwelcome person. So I accept that kind of condition, you know. And you don't expect in your lifetime you'd go back? Uh, I can't go back at any time, actually. I have a Chinese passport, but I'm not sure I can come out again. <laughs> you know, those stores are really just... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that can change your plans. It can be a one-way trip, so I, I make sure <laughs> not to buy the wrong trip tickets because it would be wasted. Yeah. And this, uh, this sense that you are connected now to a whole new generation of artists, one of the things that's very beautiful about your work is it's hardly ever the fingerprint of the artist on the work, but in fact teams of people are creating these huge projects that you're imagining that cover entire cities and that have all of these layer after layer of element and process and people coming together to create things and imagine things. And so would you just talk about your staff and the young artists that surround you and that interaction that you have? Every one of your projects calls for a lot of people. I realized in my life, um, I somehow always attracted somebody has some mental problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't believe people working with me for 30 years. I always wondering, do you really want to still be here? And the people still here. So I, I, I'm kind of shy to ask them why, because t- life teaches me not to ask deeper questions. You know, so... Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I realize people in general very hard to find a, a real 
society or real connection to another. Somehow, because my mental uh, problem attract similar type of people, <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty. I have, a, uh, yeah, I, I have compassion with those kind of people. So. And But sometimes it gets really crazy, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because we don't see that part, do we? The exhibit is usually relatively under control. You see that part, you know. I I think I I told you I supposed to sitting on the park bench, but now I sitting here with you. This is pretty crazy, you know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I never can imagine, you know. Uh, 1981. That's all. 40 years ago, I was in Berkeley. Uh, uh, that time, I started to start、uh, study English. My girlfriend has much better English、uh, training. She, she, her first words she teach me is,、uh, "Excuse me." I think that words is so difficult to pronounce.、So、why we have to? You know, in China, we would say, "Jie guang," or say. Uh, something like that, but、uh, excuse me, you know, when somebody walk towards you in supermarket and、uh, or something, you. So she told me you can never really learn English; it's not possible. I also believe her. I I I, I gave up, you know, to. <laughs> but、uh, my English training started once. So many interviews come, you know. So I, I I started to learn a little bit basic language, you know. So one of the incredible skill points, of course, which is always this this Wu way of by doing nothing, there's nothing that cannot be done, and you use nothing really, really beautifully and really powerfully in your practice. But that nothing has you've really touched an amazing fulcrum. Between having nothing and having everything, your artworks involve a lot of money, big-time capitalist investment, very expensive locations, very expensive collectors, and total poverty, and this this living on 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 the edge. And normally, those worlds don't meet of the person on the park bench and the person. The billionaire class that we're living with now, and in your work, constantly, these two extremes are meeting. So, <laughs> yeah, you're a tough interview, Wei Wei. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah. What? What do you? Just let me know what you say. <laughs> for me, this is the future negotiation in America and in the planet. You know, and so for me, it's a new generation of art that you're making for a new period where we're living in these economics of extremes, massive inequality that goes beyond anything that ever existed on this planet before, and somehow you've found a path. That actually moves right into the heart of the crisis itself, and I'm not speaking about China. I'm just speaking about the West and this situation that we're living in here and now. 
And in that sense, having done what you've done, how do you move forward? Can well, I, I, I think uh, very often we, we so much uh, uh, enlarge our vision because we, we look at ourselves with no perspective. You know, also you can look at the nation with no perspective. And of course, if you look at the Rome, like the history in the Western culture, it, it's an unbelievably strong nation. And of course, you look at you know, Rome today or Italy, you, know, you only need to see spaghetti or, or mamma mia or those things. You know, it's, not, it's not Rome anymore. And also in China, in the history, there's a lot of a great moment, great, uh, uh, how do you say, dynasties. But all disappeared. You know, every Chinese you know, trying to get an American visa and uh, to, to come to here. So we have to be much relaxed to, to think uh, this up and down in every, uh, every nation or every power. And, uh, you know, as individual, there's not much we can do, but we try to protect ourselves to have these words used, like integrity or something. But it's still very hard. What is integrity? And, uh, and uh, normally we said, okay, we're trying to fight for social justice or some kind of fairness there. You know, that's how help us to understand ourselves and others. But even that is extremely difficult because it needs a lot of effort. You need to take action. And uh, who want to give uh, you know this time of afternoon tea to go do something which uh, fight is not a normal condition you know it's not uh, uh, acceptable in in general condition so so I I don't know you know I think uh, anything can happen. And uh, I don't think uh, we can really prevent those situations. And yeah, that's how I feel, you know. Maybe before we have a few questions from you all, uh, I just can't resist asking one, one more. Uh, what do you think of Xi Jinping? <laughs> well, he's a man about three, four years older than me. And... Uh, I think, you know, I don't know him. I look at the image, he's quite healthy. And uh, I'm so sure he's going to stay there for very long, long before all your president, you know, your last maybe eight years. But he will stay there at least twice as long than, you know. So there's a, there's a very different perspective. You know, he is uh, thinking about, uh, now he's talk about, no longer talk about American dream here, but uh, he's talking about Chinese dream. So he thinks there's uh, one chance for China to achieve, uh, how they, they normally say this is a hundred years, uh, like an opportunity only may come in hundred years. So China is inevitably will become a stronger nation. Uh, 
So there's, uh, there will create more conflicts with U.S. The uh, U.S. Was, uh, is, still is very strong, but uh, still how U.S. would deal with someone who have a clear vision as a competitor and, uh, and also uh, this is not going to disappear. China is not going to disappear. So I, I, I think I need a lot of political wisdom here. If you, if you had to place a bet, would you bet that he would succeed in achieving his China dream or possibly fail? I don't think he will fail because China is a failure. And already, you know, China has uh, never really, besides made some money and still lacking of uh, a clear, uh, you know, fundamental values about, uh, um, about uh, to establish a society which is uh, uh, legally existing, you know, because now every you know, as an authoritarian state, uh, it's really managed by uh, uh, pressure, you know, army and police and all those things. So they've never had an election. So, but that kind of situation can last forever. And uh, that doesn't mean that society cannot uh, succeed. You know, so it's it's very hard to uh, to compare, you know, with state capitalism with this kind of classic capitalism. So I think uh, state capitalism have a lot of advantage. Okay, now I think there's some microphones. Uh, I, I I can't see too clearly, but we could take maybe uh, we have about 15 minutes. Uh, if you ha- would like to ask a question, here's a microphone coming out, and one over here possibly. Uh, would you be brief uh, if you want to ask a question, and we'll try to get a, a few in. Uh, right here, come down to the microphone, please. Uh, Keep talking and we'll see. Hello. Hi, Mr. Weiwei. Um, I have two questions. Let's have one. Okay. (laughs) Eeny, meeny, miny, Is it your real mom in Never Sorry or was it that a fake mom? You know, in your documentary, Never Sorry? Mm -hmm. Was that your real mom that you were talking with? I'm guessing no. (laughs) Uh, Why? in the film? Yeah. That's my mom. Oh, because right before you brought her into the picture, you said, maybe I won't bring my real mom and we'll just tell everybody it's my mom. So I was always wondering well, you, if that really was her. Well, it certainly is not an artificial mom. <laughs> <laughs> but but wait, 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 I must say, you do have an infatuation with the word fake. Fake, yes. Yes, yeah, so... My, Okay, my my company, I have to uh, to to register a company, so I I register the English words fake. Uh, you know, English words actually translate into Chinese. Uh, that's called a fake, but uh, but 
but if we uh, use uh, you know Chinese spelling system that that become a fake, so it's complicated. So, <laughs> but but not a fake mother in the film. Okay. Thank you. Next. I uh, appreciated your work dealing with surveillance in China, and I'm wondering if you have ever been surveilled by any other countries, and if you've ever looked into whether the U.S. has an FBI file on you. Well, uh, yeah, it's uh, because I was dealing with China, I was a bit naive, but then very soon I realized the U.S. even tried to listen to German's uh, chancellor's uh, private talk. So I'm sure U.S. does it better than anybody. And, uh, yeah. Uh, next, please. Hello. Thank you for your art and your activism. Uh, I recently was able to see the 12 Chinese zodiac heads uh, up at a winery in Sonoma, and that was incredible. Uh, and it made me wonder, how do you balance being a champion of Chinese culture and at the same time a critic of the Chinese government? Um, yeah, I think that is the same quality. I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, next, right here. <laughs> in the U.S., um, you know, there's a, a lot of people that look at and consume art and contemporary art. It's, it's a strong overlap between political left and, you know. Um, and in China, not only is it left and right a little bit different, but also you can get uh, disappeared for making art. And I was wondering if you think that art is the same medium in China or if it's, it has like a different uh, function. Uh, compare Chinese art with Western art? I, I guess, yeah, art as a medium in the West versus China. Uh, well, that's very, very difficult to, uh, because China has uh, basically a society uh, have a strong censorship. It's, it's okay to have strong censorship. It's like you build a, a building, the roof is very low, but still people can live in there and can have a meaningful uh, practice. But in the West, you have, uh, you know, you have uh, the roof uh, like a sky high, but doesn't mean you produce works uh, has, uh, uh, you know, the work is not about. Uh, uh, normally, you say, oh, you have a freedom, you can do whatever you like, but uh, I think uh, that's a wrong concept. I think. Uh, Nobody can say we have a freedom. Or of course, even mostly artists cannot say that because the only freedom you may have is to find out that you don't have that freedom. Uh, otherwise, it's uh, irony, you know. Yeah. Next. Yeah, I'm struck by. I'm struck by an hour and a half of conversation about art and politics and the United States and China, and not a word yet about climate. So all of this about human rights and, and refugees and the reason why this will become a massive problem for everybody is climate. Can you make the mic a little bit? You, you can bend the mic. She, anyway. She's asking about why haven't we said anything about climate change? When climate change. Oh, okay. I I try to test, try to test if the 
people would ask that. I always uh, failed because the people always ask that. <laughs> and uh, it's, I always think, uh, you know, people talk we have to protect the, the environment or to climate change situation. I, I, I kind of cynical about it. I, say, I always say, you don't protect the environment, you just don't ruin the environment. And uh, I think the yeah, I think the society are trying to be politically correct. You know, where the one protects the environment, there's the one ruin the environment, which is not true. We all ruin the environment, so nobody can. You know, even you pretend you're protected. I'm sure I can easily argue you did many things is really ruin the environment. Thank you. My- Americans have a very, very different perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, next, please. Uh, thank you for who you are as much as for what you've done. And when we talk about art and activism, I'll generalize and say that both roles hold the tension of our culture and society and our world. And that tension, holding that tension, is very key. How to recover from that exhaustion? How do you hold that tension and keep holding it? Well, I I don't say there's, uh, you know, for me it's a natural act. I don't say art can be separated from so-called activism. You know, I always say if art without activism is a is dead artist. So my tension is really trying to figure out my hotel room, how to switch the light or how to, <laughs> how to really, you know, find out how the shower, you know, to turn. It's very difficult. It's extremely difficult. Life has been made difficult by those designers and the architects. And the, it, 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 yeah. Next. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for being you. I also I grew up in China uh, in my formative years, um, and I came here in the, to the states in the eighties as well. And I worked in Harlem. Um, and they're very, from 3 a.m., 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., so I understand exactly what you're talking about. And nothing is, when I experienced um, in China the years of growing up where we had no books except for their officially sanctioned ones, then all of a sudden in the 80s in my high school, the floodgate kind of got lifted, and we had all kinds of opportunity of reading the classics of humanities, including a lot of your father's poetry. It was very big in the 80s. I read a lot of that. So now, am I going to ask you a question very unpopular with this crowd, which is the schools here, what I see on campuses from kindergarten to colleges, a lot of the great classics are being displaced and substituted with something subpar in the name of political correctness. And I just want to... I, as someone who experienced China and here, I feel like I have a unique duty to kind of educate the world about 
the, the minutiae and the nuances, what it means to live under communism, under socialism. I just want to see what you might say to that. So she's a, an immigre classicist who believes in the classics and the value of the classics. I'm a classic constitutional liberal, as you can yes. say, but and anyway, how, so. How, how, how about you, Wei Wei? Yeah,我母亲是电影导演，是属军。我不知道您认识吗？But um, what you look at the America um, that has kind of experiencing uh, some of the censorship, some of the um, sort of gatekeeping of what kids should read and not read, the kinds of things that I experienced. Okay, let, 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 me, let me put the knife in here. Okay. Uh, she's saying in America now there is a level of censorship, particularly a lot of universities, because of sort of uh, woke culture. What's your view? I feel uh, I feel in our education, our mainstream, um, uh, how do you say, propagandas, or or there's a strong censorship in the United States. Sometimes you can compare to Cultural Revolution in China. It's it's not allowed different opinions and uh, crashes, uh, you know, our opinions can be obviously wrong, but have a perfect right to speak out. So I think uh, to try to clean up the society is a, it's a, it's a similarity with Nazism to say we have to be absolutely right or to have this elite idea. I think that is more dangerous to have a society uh, more loose, to have a wrong ideas or, or to different voices. So I, I think uh, US certainly have the ground to become, a, a, um, a, you know, a black-white society, you know, you don't have the gray area. So uh, that, I think, is a potential danger to, it's not healthy at all. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Now we have time for one more question. We'll take it from you. has been uh, deteriorating. Uh, uh, even in recent years, there have been artists and writers uh, being censored and put in prison. Uh, what do you think could be done like, uh, in a place like Tibet, uh, which is occupied land? What do you think could be uh, ways to you know, resist the colonial uh, uh, state? And do you think there's any way that Tibet could be free from you know, what is... Uh, what is it 
that, that, that's really uh, a, a very tough question, not only for Tibetan, but for many, many uh, so-called minority people or uh, people's rights being horribly violated. I, I cannot really give advice. You know, if you look at the, in the world, you look at the map, so many people's rights being violated and in, in many, many locations. And uh, even with uh, very, uh, for, for the people are fighting so uh, strongly, still will not change the situation. We see cases like that everywhere. So, I, I don't know, it's, I cannot answer it, you know, it's, it's just even encourage people to fight, it doesn't really bring a, a brighter future because people just been put in jail, sentenced, and, and very little attention being paid for those writers and the thinkers, and they, they can be lifetime in jail. Uh, before we uh, close out, I, I just want to deliver a quick commercial. Uh, Peter Sellers is going to be here with the Los Angeles Master Chorale on October 28th uh, to present music to accompany a departure. And uh, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. I encourage you all to come. It's a COVID ceremony for saying goodbye to people we couldn't say goodbye to. So, Peter, I want to thank you, and Weiwei, thanks a million for, for being here. Um, <laughs> You've been listening to Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. Follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.